Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to uh, the first passage we read, uh, Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians, and chapter 3, reading for our text, verse 5. To Thessalonians, chapter 3, and verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 5. There are three things that the Apostle brings before the Thessalonians in this chapter that concern us as well as them. The first is he speaks of those that are wicked and unreasonable men. The reason is, for all men have not faith. The Church of God is placed in the midst of a world that is against our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It is in a world that is a godless world, a world that knows not God and yet is under the power and control of God. God is above all men and devils and nations. They are not in control. God is in control. But nevertheless, the church is surrounded with adversaries from without Wicked men without, men of which, looking at them alone, we can expect no mercy. In other parts of the world, we have them described as being implacable, as being those that you cannot uh, cannot calm down, you cannot uh, bring them to be reconciled. There are those even incontinent, they cannot help themselves. They are just full of rage and hatred against the people of God. And Paul, he makes the uh, prayer here that we may be the Thessalonians and all the church of God delivered from wicked men, unreasonable and wicked men. The second is the adversaries within. Not without, but within the church of God. And he sets them before us as those that are walking disorderly. They're not being governed by the word. They're not following uh, the uh, church of God. They're not following the apostle here. He says, well, you're, in verse 7, yourselves know how you ought to follow us. And in another place he says, be ye followers of me as I also am of Christ. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet, light to our path. That shows us how we are to walk. And yet here he sets forth in the church, and the same as Jude does in his epistle, that there shall arise those amongst you that are walking contrary. They are not walking in the ways of the Lord. And specifically with this Thessalonian church, They were a church that was expecting the Lord really to come at any moment. In the first epistle, they were those are saying, well, 
the resurrection is past. Those that have died, they perished, and the Lord hath uh, forsaken his people. But, but the apostle writes to them and says, No, no, they're not perished. Those that have died, they're with the Lord. The Lord shall come again. They shall come with him. And we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up with them in the air. And he makes that clear. But then in this epistle, this second one, they appear to think the Lord is coming at any moment. So they're not bothering to work or do any work or not bothering to occupy their busy bodies and not working at all. And this is what he says and lays to their charge that they are walking disorderly in, in this way, not giving heed to the directions and instruction that they'd been given. So that's two, but the third is that of our own hearts. And this is where our text is speaking of our own hearts. We might not be wicked like those without. We might say, well, we are not walking disorderly or think that we're not. But we each have a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And from our hearts, that is what flows our works and all that we do. And the Apostle here has a prayer, a prayer for the hearts of the Thessalonians and really it's a good prayer for the hearts of all the people of God that the Lord would direct our hearts. He says, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And really those two things are so central it is the love of Christ that constrains us to follow him and to walk in his ways. And it is the church's privilege and it was the calling of this Thessalonian church uh, in the first epistle to wait for his son from heaven. Paul says to the Corinthian church, if in this life only we have hope in Christ with all men, most miserable. So, there is an expectation in our text of the Lord hearing prayer, of the Lord working upon our hearts, directing our hearts. And it is this petition that I desire to look at this morning, directed into the love of God. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So there's three things. Firstly, we have the Lord. Our text begins, and the Lord. I want to look at the Lord as the director of the hearts of all men. And secondly, what it is to be directed into something. If he is asking here the prayer, direct your hearts. What is he meaning? And especially when he says into, directed into something. And then thirdly, the two points, the two things that Paul prays that the Thessalonians be directed into, and maybe it be our prayer too, that is the love of God and into the patient waiting 
for Christ. But firstly we have the Lord, the director of the hearts of men. This belongs to the Lord alone. Although the words tells us that as in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man, and we know that we are all equally fallen, and the things that go on in our hearts, they go on in others' hearts as well. Don't let Satan deceive you and say that you are the only one that feels temptations in this particular way or manner, uh, or the only one that is corrupt or fallen or whatever is felt from the heart because in the very beginning God fashioned our hearts alike and we have fallen alike. But we do not have that ability to really know what is going on in another's heart what they are exercised with, what they are burdened with, what is driving them, what is the motive force. And we certainly can't change a heart. We might change a man's thinking, but a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And to actually change the real uh, driving force or what that person actually is, we have no power over Satan, though he might observe our frames and he can see what we do in our lives, he as well, he cannot read the heart. You say, well, how, how come the temptations come from Satan interjected those thoughts and so exact? Well, you know, if to use perhaps a worldly saying, if we were a fly on the wall and to actually be able to observe ourselves. You learn a lot about ourselves, a lot about what we do, a lot about how we react to certain things. And Satan has 6,000 years experience of observing men and women. And he is able to put temptations and things in their path if he were to put a temptation in the path of a child of God, he knows whether that is a grief to them, whether it results in them immediately going to prayer, crying out to the Lord for help under him, or he can adjust by observing, he can see whether they are meditating upon it, taking the bait, thinking on it, going in that way. He can actually see is it bring them to prayer or they, when they get that temptation, closing their Bible and going off to that temptation? He can see that. And he knows then to follow up with further temptations in that way. But to the Lord alone belongs that ability to change the heart, renew the will and turn the feet to Zion's hill as the hymn writer says, the Lord is the director of hearts. What a blessing it is that 
through our Lord's sufferings and death at Calvary, he may justly, righteously take a sinner, a sinner deserving eternal hell and destruction, and change that person's heart. Having the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 36, those things that the Lord says that he will do for his people, to cleanse them, to give them a new heart, a softened heart, those things you do for them, for his honour and his glory. He says, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. And this is what Paul is appealing to the director of hearts, that he'll give a heart work. What a solemn thing if all of our devotions never touched our hearts. All of our worship, all of our gathering in his name, it never actually touched our hearts. We don't mean, of course, the fleshy pumping the blood round our bodies, but in a spiritual way, it is the heart that makes us what we are. If we have an animal, say a dog that barks, you say, well, it barks because... It is a dog. That is its heart. That is its nature. That is what it actually does. You can go in Australia and you could go into the bush and you could hear a dog bark and you could part the leaves and look and find the dog and it wouldn't be a dog. It'd be a lyre bird. And it'd be a bird and it imitates the dog exactly. It imitates a fire engine. It could imitate a chainsaw. But it doesn't make it to be a dog. The heart is not changed. It's not changed into that. It's imitating it. But what the Lord does is to make his people and directs their hearts so that they really are what they are. You know, when the Lord saw Nathanael coming to him, he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. There's no attempt in this man to deceive. He doesn't want to deceive me. He doesn't want to deceive the brethren. He is exactly what you see is what you get. He is a true follower of the Lord. He loves the Lord. He loves his word. He's waiting for the salvation of the Lord. That was really evidence because... As soon as Nathaniel had even one token, one evidence, the Lord saw him under that fig tree and he knew he couldn't see him there otherwise unless he were God because that fig tree would have hidden him completely. Immediately he believed, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Now he was wanting to believe, he was expecting so. He didn't need great many evidences. One was enough, as it were. But the Lord is a director of hearts. I felt in looking at this word, what an encouragement for us. Now we can't manage our own hearts. You may feel our hearts a sink of sin, but he is one who is greater than our heart, able to change us, 
able to do this for us in answer to prayer, that has power, that is able to affect what man cannot. And yet I say, dear friends, he uses means. Our text is surrounded by two verses that does give an indication of what those means are. He says in verse 4, We have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Then comes the word of our text. Then immediately after the text, we have again, he's going back to the command. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And so you could almost take out the text. You finish reading verse 4, will do the things which we command you. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord. And you see it, it flows, even with taking out that verse. And when you put the verse in, it is highlighting this. Here are the commands. But the apostle is thinking, I have no power to change. I might give the commands, but the Lord must give the willingness and the Lord must give the obedience. And yes, they are exhorted to obedience. They are exhorted to walk in the commands of the Lord. But their eye is upon the Lord that worketh in you to will and to do of his own good pleasure. It is the honour and glory of the Lord to work through these means. We are not to think, well, it doesn't matter how we live and how we walk or what ministers say or what the word says, we want the power. Let that change us and then we'll be different. No, we're to recognise that the Lord uses his word, uses his servants, he speaks through that means, but to recognise that the power is needed. There are many, many that hear the commands of the Lord. There's no effect on them. Many that are shown the right way, but they, they do not walk in that way. Many that were preached to in the New Testament church. As many as were ordained unto eternal life believed. Some believed the word spoken, some believed not. Some obeyed the word, some did not obey. What makes the difference? The director of the hearts, the one that uses and makes the means effectual. The disciples had to tarry at Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. That power that was to Make the word effectual. My word shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish the thing whereto I sent it. So this is encouragement. It is encouragement for us to seek to obey the word set before us, to walk in the Lord's ways, but to look to the Lord for power, look for that help that he would perform and work in us, 
that he would move our hearts, that this be a real incentive in prayer, that we ask the Lord to do this for us. We're very used to, in our daily lives, in things of which we put our little weak effort in. And in that effort and in what we do, then there is power. When we put our brakes on in the car, I can remember days when we had no power-assisted brakes and you had to press your foot on that brake really hard. It always relied upon what you could press on. And nowadays we have the power-assisted brakes, you only got to put it lightly on the brake and, and the engine does the rest. You know what it is in, in, in Holland with the bikes, if someone is seen going along the road and they're not pedalling and the, the bike is going along nice and fast and they haven't got registration or helmet on, then they can get fined because the bike is designed unless you start pedalling, the battery power doesn't come in. It doesn't give you any, any power. And we're used to that in things we use a lot. Uh, the... There is that expectancy of a working but looking for power to come in that way. Our Lord healed those and he asked them to stretch forth their hand. They would say, look, it's, it's withered. I, I cannot. Or ask those to rise up. How can I? I, I am not able to do that. But as they sought to do it, sought to obey, then they found that strength, they were given that strength. And so we are to be of those that seek that obedient walk and strength be given in that walk and day by day and hour by hour. And this is the, the, the context here directions, commands, instructions, but the Lord being the one that is directing the hearts, opening the ears, opening the heart, making the willing, my people shall be willing in the day of my power. This is the power that directs the heart. And that's where the honour and glory is then due to the Lord. Then I want to think secondly of what it is to be directed into something. Into something. It implies that there is more than just a simple knowledge or a superficial exterior. There's a deep that coucheth beneath. There's something more to it than, than just meets the eye. Like perhaps a walled city that is shut up, you see the city, but to get inside that city, then you see what's in that city and the secrets of it are opened up. You, you, you can see what is there. It implies also a personal involvement we are used to hearing well someone is into into cars or into classical music and immediately in our minds you think 
that person is involved with that, they are investigating these things, someone into history and they're reading history and they're studying it and they're getting into some depths with that. Or if they're into sailing, they're, they're, they're following all of these contests and boat races and the, the different types of ships or boats that there are because they're into it. They're actually, their whole heart is in it. They like it. When I was young, I was into cars and changing my own car, changing it from an automatic to a manual and working on this or that, much work on the car. And that was what in, in, in my youth I, I was into. And, and you find the young in many different things in that way is what is taking possession of the heart. What we're really looking into and wanting to know more about. And we read of the angels, which things the angels desire to look into. And this is what the Apostle says with the Thessalonians. The Lord direct your hearts not just to the love of God, but into, into the love of God. So I want to look then thinking of this way of those two things that the Apostle Paul prays that they might be directed into, their hearts directed into. The first thing is the love of God. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Today the world has a very simplistic view of the love of God. They say, well, God is love and he is love. But that is all that is really considered is not actually looked into that love. Sometimes it is. I remember just not recently, or it was a year or so ago, I went to a school to give out Bibles. And before I went, I checked on the curriculum for the religious education. And they had a question there. How can you reconcile the love of God with his holiness. And when I came to the school, I asked the children, well, what answer did you come up with? How can God be a loving God and yet also a holy God? And they said, well, because he chastens, he corrects for sin, corrects for evil. And they could see how where there is love, like a father that loves his children, then he will correct those children. And this is just one of the aspects of looking into the love of God. We would say this, the love of God is an eternal love. The love for his people, and it is a particular love. I've loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And thee is in the singular, and he's pointed to the people of God, the individual people of God, 
that particular love. I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And it is that of which we we read in John uh, 4, which speaks of the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. It's a love that begins in God, eternal in God. And if we are directed into that, what a depth of that love. The hymn writer says, He saw me lost and ruined in the fall and loved me notwithstanding all. That beginning of that love is then in God. It's also a sacrificial love because it was the love of God to his people that brought him to suffer for them. Lord says in John 10, Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. They were given to the Son to redeem, that he would pay their debt, that he would be a surety, that he would suffer in their place, that he would endure the wrath of God for them, that he would bear their curse. Cursed is every one that hangeth upon a tree, And that it should be the love of God that brings that about. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is to be directed into that love of God, to know something of the mystery of that godliness, God manifest in the flesh, that of which Philip, in preaching to the eunuch, was able to, beginning at the same scriptures, Isaiah 53, really bring that eunuch into the love of God. Whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or some other man? And there is all the sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ, in laying upon him the iniquity of us all. And that dear man then had an opening into that love. And we may say with this that where this is so, where the hearts are directed into the love of God, it is a clear token of being a child of God of having faith. It is the Holy Spirit that shall receive, says the Lord, of mine, and shall reveal it unto you. And this is what is happening here. Things are being revealed unto the people of God. Now, you might say, how how is it that this prayer would be answered? The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Is it just by mentally understanding the things that we could speak this morning or is it by actually partaking of them and experiencing them to know what it is to have the love of God drawing us The love of Christ constraineth us. 
when we feel that constraining love of Christ to walk in his ways, to be drawn to him, to be attracted to that love, we feel that. That touches our hearts. When it is shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Ghost, then we know what that love of God is because we actually feel it in our hearts. It is actually to be understood. We think of the end of Psalm 107. Many things are set forth then of the Lord's dealings with his people. Many times they fell down, there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. But at the end of that psalm, we read, Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Is a loving kindness that is to be understood. Certainly the chastening and correction of the Lord with his people is to be understood, not in anger, but by his dear covenant love. So when the apostle is praying that the Lord would direct the hearts of these Thessalonians into the love of God, is into a partaking of it, to knowing it by experience, to having it shed abroad in their hearts, to realise that depth of love, the greatness of love, the unchanging love of God, that which remains the same, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, and today and forever. Our Lord speaks of that same love wherewith the Father loved him, of which he loves his people, and his people are to love him. It is also the token of being a child of God. We know that we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren, and it is with that same love wherewith God had loved us that we actually love the brethren. In verse 7 of the chapter we read, John 1, 4, and verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, he says in verse 11, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And the whole chapter really is dwelling on this, bringing the soul into the knowledge of the love of God, a God who loves his people and he loves them through all the scenes of time loves them for eternity and will always love. So may the Lord direct us in this respect into, into the love of God. And may it be something in this way as well, that he's directing us into it to want to know more about it. We use the illustration of those taken up with cars or history or something like that. May we be taken up with the love of God, 
If the angels desire to look into these things, may we desire to know more and more of these things, to understand the love of God. I remember reading of the Reverend Kirsten when the Lord was first beginning to work in his heart and his mother caught him up at two o'clock in the morning with his light on reading and she said to him, why, why are you up? Why are you reading your Bible like this? He said, well, he said, I must know how the Lord saves his people. And that is what he was so earnestly seeking and uh, seeking to know personally for himself. And of course, he was greatly blessed and the founder of the church there in Holland. But there's a second thing that is asked here, and that is the patient waiting for Christ. And again, it is the Lord direct our hearts into it, into it. Well, the context here, firstly, is the Lord coming the second time. The Lord said very clearly that he shall come again. The angels testified when he was set up into heaven that he shall come in like manner with power and great glory. The apostle at the close of the first epistle, he tells them that the Lord shall come, the trumpet shall sound, and uh, the Lord shall come with power in the clouds of heaven. It was to be expected and waited for. Now we know, of course, that 2,000 years or so has gone by since this time the Lord still has not yet come, but he will come. The same as the New Old Testament church waited for 4,000 years till the Lord came. But the Lord will come. And I often think of how it's spoken of that the Lord hath appeared in the end of the world. Well, if it was in the end of the world and 4,000 years and then 2,000 years, it cannot be long that the Lord comes. But we're not to be like the Thessalonians that, and there have been those even of recent years that have believed false prophets. They've sold all their goods. They've been in cults. They've waited for the Lord to come. The Lord has never come. Many, many prophecies. But the word of God tells us very clear that no man knoweth the day nor the hour, but it shall come as a thief in the night and we are told to be in expectancy of that day by day. And though it might not be at the end of the world, we might not be those on the earth when the Lord returns to be caught up with him in the clouds, but we will most certainly die. We may, will most certainly stand before God. The Lord said, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether in death or whether at the end of the world, the Lord shall come. And the church of God is to be an expectant church. The Lord spoke of the five wise and five foolish virgins as those that were waiting, those that did not know the time, occupied till I come, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. And so... 
we are to have our hearts directed into that patient waiting for Christ. And sometimes it might be hard. You hear dear Job in all his afflictions and sorrows. He says, all the appointed days of my time will I wait till my change come. And some of the Lord's dear people have great afflictions at the end of their lives. They have good hope beyond the grave and they've longed, they've longed and desired to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But they have had to wait, patiently wait. We read in the margin, or patience of Christ. We could say with patience as well, that endurance unto the end. How vital that it is that we be led into the patient waiting for Christ. Because apart from the end, there are those appearances of our Lord before the end. Those that are brought to seek the Lord, those that are brought to come to his word, read his word, attend the preaching of the gospel, there is a waiting for Christ in that way, to come and to bless their souls. There is a time to favour Zion, a set time that the Lord will come. There was a set time that the Lord came in the first time, a set time that he would bring the children of Israel out of captivity in Babylon. And so with the blessings of the Lord, there is a waiting, a patient waiting for him to come and to bless. Sometimes it is in a path of providence. We may be waiting upon the Lord in prayer, desiring the Lord to appear for us and help for us, whether it is a sale of a property, or employment, or partner in life, or whatever it is, we're waiting on the Lord as the governor of all things to appear and to help us and to answer our prayers. And in that way, there is to be a patient waiting for Christ. And we're to be directed into that, into that frame of mind, into that spirit, into that attitude, not fretful, not kicking, not rebellious, but patient waiting. You wonder at those like dear Joseph in the prison, the butler forgot him, And yet he had this word from the Lord, an expectation. We read in Psalm 105, until his time came, the word of the Lord tried him. It must have been a hard time to wait, that time when the prison door was open and when he was brought before Pharaoh. But we are to wait upon the Lord in this way. And may our prayer be that the Lord would direct our hearts not only into the love of God but into the patient waiting for Christ. It is the Lord's coming that sets everything right, that does what we cannot do when he appears, when he answers our petitions, when he works for us. Or may the Lord grant us the desire and petition here and may it be our prayer as well and may also be that which we reflect on how much has the Lord already 
directed our hearts into these things? How much do we already know something of the love of God? Know something of patiently waiting for Christ? Be able to say, perhaps like dear Hannah, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition that I've asked of him. And there's that waiting, those that wait upon the Lord, how much is spoken in the word of God of the blessing of those that wait upon the Lord. The Lord grant us that blessing. The Lord direct our hearts into it. Amen.